0: Coming up next on The Voice of Alabama Politics, our special guest is Birmingham Mayor Randall Woodfin. Also, the V Team takes a look at rising COVID-19 numbers. And there's a call for early budget hearings. Senator Dale Marsh
1: breaks it down.
2: Uh Uh-uh, that won't work.
1: No, why not? Because, you see, you gotta raise the axle above the cannon forcer when you're putting in the celery. You just can't take a finger and lifts up the wheel when the bang comes on and fall with celery. Put a little sablifters in it. Otherwise, what have you got? Well, it's always worked before.
0: Makes sense to me. Doesn't it to you? All this and much, much more coming up next on the V. of Alabama politics, where we tackle the tough issues so you have the hard facts. I'm your host, Bill Britt, and today I'm joined by Josh Moon, investigative reporter and columnist at APR, and Susan Britt, my constant companion. How are y'all doing? Good. I thought, what, I thought I was your constant companion, but, okay. (laughs)
2: Y'all are on the phone enough to to warrant that,
0: that's for sure. You know, there's a lot of crazy things going on, and this may seem insignificant to some folks, but it is a big deal. Mike Hubbard was convicted on June 10th, 2016. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: It is now the end of June, 2020. And, And he is still not in jail. And this, Josh, goes to show that money and privilege and connections will keep you out of jail for a long, long time, even if you're a crook. But if you're poor or you're black,
3: you can just, you, you're never gonna get this type of justice. Never. No, 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 you never would. Uh, you know, I, I i can't even fathom, uh, you know, the, the idea of some of this stuff for, for regular folks. You know what I mean? Wow. Just the, the that you can stay out after being convicted of 12 felonies, because uh, that's what he was convicted of. 12 felonies, it okay. wasn't like, you know, he was jaywalking, okay? Wasn't 12 jaywalking uh, convictions, he was 12 felons. Uh, and so, and they've been upheld. Uh, they went to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court has upheld some of them, uh, because you know it's the best the Alabama Supreme Court can do. Uh, so it's gone through this entire thing, and he's still out of jail. And somehow or another, he still hadn't gone to jail, even after it's gone to the Supreme Court. I don't understand what's going on.
0: I mean, Susan, he is the poster child for public corruption, right? And also. How there are different rules now. Our lawyer friends out there are going to say, "Well, everybody is entitled to the defense they can afford," but this is just wrong.
2: Come on! Not only does he have powerful friends, not only does he have powerful expensive attorneys, he also has friends on the friend Supreme Court.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah. Don't forget that part. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. This but, is not again,
3: just a legal defense thing. This is not just a legal no, it's legal. not. This is this is the you know judges and the system you know rigging it up uh, to, to help a buddy. That's right, that's right. And again, Governor
0: Ivey has promised she's looking to make criminal justice reform so that some of this can be dealt with. Mm-hmm. I wanna move on right now because one of Hubbard's best buddies for years and years and years, Senator Dale Marsh, President Pro Tem of the Senate, has called for a budget hearing for the 2021 session to begin on July Night, Susan
2: mm-hmm. yeah he has and I don't know exactly what he's going to plan on budgeting since the tax returns aren't, aren't due until July 15th which gives you an estimate of what you're going to have to work with
0: yeah but that's that, that's this is the, he's going to know the year ahead but he said and what he said was that he wanted to uh, address uh, the, the prison uh, reforms that are needed mm-hmm. and he estimated those at some two billion. No, nobody's ever mentioned two billion. Then he says he wants to address the lack of, of broadband. Well,
2: where, where is that on the agenda?
0: Yeah, we've got his agenda here, and uh, for the thing, and and all this is is he's actually grilling the Ivy administration on the COVID nineteen relief funds that are being spent, and then he wants to grill the 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 uh, pardons and parole and the prisons. Josh, this seems like sour grapes of a man who just got his, well, lost the battle with the governor. Now he's embarrassed and he wants to go after the governor.
3: Yeah, I would, you know, my advice would be if, if, if you get beaten as bad as he did, uh, publicly numerous times, maybe it's time to give it up, man. Uh, you know, and just, just take it and go it on uh, with, with the, with the butt whooping that you got. But, uh, you know, I, you're right. There's nothing that they're going to be able to determine out of this because the tax, we're not going to have tax returns back in into at least July the 15th and then probably several weeks after that. Uh, so we're not going to know what tax receipts look like and, and how far down we are with, uh, with the budget uh, stuff on there. So, you know, it's just a, a matter of them trying to come in and they want to make some headlines that they can dish off to their, you know, their Republican blog. Uh, and and write things about how much money is being spent by the ivy administration or how much this or how much that and uh you know uh, i i will say i do like the idea of somebody questioning them, pardons and paroles about some things i got to say that yeah but it seems like the only thing they want to question them about is how much money they're spending not yeah, whether yeah, they're doing course. a good job yeah of course of course it's not about the the things they're doing bad they want to question about you know some of the, some of the things that they've actually done right but uh it's yeah. uh it, it, it it just is uh, it's Marsh and, and sour grapes, and this is the way politics is played. You know, forget all the thousands of damn problems that we have. This is what we're going to mess with. The problem here is that
2: Ivy's better at it than
3: Marsh does. Yeah, that's what's happening. <laughs> and he,
2: he, he knows yeah. it, and he's embarrassed. I
0: mean, for years, Marsh had Hubbard, he had Riley, he had Billy Canary, yeah. all of them to protect him. And, I mean, it, you know, a 13-year-old could beat Rebecca Mason and Robert Bentley at checkers. So, I mean, him, him, him besting them was easy. He, he this just, is not.
2: He just doesn't realize he's the last player on the baseball field. Nobody else is coming out there. Yeah. He's just standing there whistling in the wind.
0: Well, there you go. And speaking of broadband, though, uh, he wanted to talk about broadband, but Governor Ivy stole that thunder, too, when she allocated $300 million for broadband yeah. uh, and just took that, that, that conversation away from him.
3: Yeah, and, I mean, I, I, if you look at what we need with, with broadband, I don't know that we need much more than that. Uh, you know, I know that, I, I, again, when you say that, it makes it sound like you're saying that there's not a need. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that, that right. what the need is, uh, I think we can fill it with, with what we've allocated thus far to it. And then come back on the backside if we need some more and fill that in. I don't think we need to to double it. You know? Well, I think if they if they got the eight hundred double
2: it, he wants eight hundred.
0: If he got the eight hundred oh. million, if we had a prosecutor oh, yeah. in this state, somebody would go no to man. jail.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, the one thing that we're sure of is we won't be able to get enough broadband in before the start of the school year. One of the ideas is to put hot spots on buses, move those buses into communities and let the children piggyback off that through their Wi-Fi. There are a lot of good ideas out there. Some need to be implemented immediately because these schools may not reopen or stay open because of this COVID, but we're gonna have to hold on right there. You're watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. Our special guest coming up next, Mayor Randall Woodfin of Birmingham. What are
2: you doing today, babe? I thought I'd head down to the lake with the guys, do a little fishing. Of course, none of us will be wearing our seatbelts. I'll lose control of the truck, wrap it around a tree, and kill us all.
4: Okay. Drive safe, Alabama. A message from your Alabama Department of Transportation.
1: I'm John Merrill. As your Secretary of State, my goal is to ensure that each and every eligible U.S. citizen that's a resident of Alabama is registered to vote and has a photo ID. If you're concerned about going to the polls on July the 14th, we want to encourage you to download an absentee ballot application at alabamavotes.gov or contact your local circuit clerk. Make sure you enclose a copy of your photo ID when you submit your application. We may not see you in person, but through absentee, we'll see you at the polls.
0: Welcome, welcome back, back to, to The V, the voice of Alabama politics. Our special guest today is Birmingham Mayor, Randall Woodfin. Mr. Mayor, welcome.
4: And Thank you for having me. Happy to be on.
0: You are, have been doing a stellar job in Alabama's biggest city. Uh, Birmingham has been a symbol of racial oppression. It has also been a city of hope that saw the civil rights movement take a firm grip in our state and our nation. In this time of unrest with people crying out, black citizens crying out for social justice and COVID-19 hurting our citizens and also hurting the economy. How are you leading Birmingham through this crisis and also making it that shining example of racial justice that we all need
4: to recognize today? Well, listen, our our role, our country, our state, and definitely the city of Birmingham has been in crisis mode as as early as March, in some places earlier, but here in Birmingham as early as March. And every decision I made as it relates to the COVID-19 has been through the lens of saving lives. A lot of those decisions were not popular. A lot of those decisions were tough, but I think in the moment of a crisis, there are several things you need. You need to be bold and decisive. You need to over communicate, and probably the most important thing is you have to wrap all your decisions in through in empathy. And I think when you have a COVID nineteen crisis on your hand, and people can die are dying, then the decisions you make, it's really important that. Is through the lens of will it save a life? Is it going to save lives? And so that has been the balance of that. You fast forward and you realize that the COVID 19 crisis has created an economic crisis. And now I have to address small business owners. I have to address um, the hourly worker, the small business owner who's worried about how they're going to pay their commercial rent or their commercial mortgage. I have to worry about the small business, the the hourly worker who's been laid off and how are they going to pay their utility bill or keep food on the table. Again, that requires um, looking through the lens now of livelihoods. How do you protect livelihoods? But also every decision you make has to be wrapped through empathy as well. And then you move to the civil unrest where like you, like many Americans, we watched an unarmed black man have his life snuffed from him by an officer, putting the weight of his body uh, through his knee on his neck. And we watched for that eight minutes and 40 plus seconds. I think the outrage you see now, I think the the outcry you see and the hurt and the pain and the frustration and the, the anger is based on not just George Floyd being killed, not just how he was killed, um, but it represent a bigger picture of systemic racism in our country that's not isolated only to police brutality and wanting police reform, is wanting to break down all those barriers. And so in my position as mayor, again, the number one thing I need is empathy and understanding what people are crying out for and how to respond to that.
0: Empathy is something that we all need to understand and empathy transcends race or gender. It should be something that we, we find in our hearts every day, but we find ourselves so divided today as I would have never imagined. Uh, the Confederate monument at Lynn Park was brought down. That has caused a lot of hard feelings on some people's parts and I have struggled as many people like me have struggled to try to get people to understand that these Confederate monuments are offensive. They are a declaration of our racist past, but some people still see them as heritage. How do you as the leader of Birmingham and really a leader to the state explain to folks that these monuments are hurtful to folks. There's, it goes back to your empathy thing, but it's, how do you explain that to folks? Well, uh,
4: there are many ways to explain it. On um, the first basic way I like to explain it is set aside the monument first and then, and, and go into the context of where the monument is located. So the monument is located in a city park. It's the park is managed by the city. The park is owned by the city. The resources to take care of the park is, again, from the city, 100% of it. Right. And so when you have a law that's created by the legislators in Montgomery that tells a local municipality what it can or can't do in this city park, that in itself is a problem and lets you know that there's certain things people want to keep in the public square face. Then you move to the actual statue, and then you realize something, that the Civil War ended in 1865. The city of Birmingham was founded in 1871. And so at a minimum, for our city, that's revisionist history. That Birmingham didn't even participate in the Civil War. We were not even founded. And so when you think of it from that lens, people should consider that. Why was this statue put here? And then you realize, you dig deeper, the Daughters of the Confederate had some intentional design that how the Civil War was viewed through the lenses of the next generation and the next generation after that, on and on and on. Part of that was on the low end, the symbolic gestures of these um, Confederate monuments and public squares. The other part made its way all the way to our school systems and education and in our books around what the Civil War stood for. But we need to be very honest with people. That symbolic, tangible gesture of a Confederate monument in a public square represents for Black people being relegated to being property and slaves. There is no way around that. And if people can't understand why why Black people are sensitive to that, then, then the Daughters of the Confederate were successful in doing their job of revisionist history. And so that monument on its face is offensive. It's wrong. And I'm not saying it doesn't belong. What I am saying, it doesn't belong in the public square, in the city park. What I am saying it's offensive to a a, a, a Black resident in the city. And it happens to be in 2020, a city that's 74% Black. And so The Confederacy, its history, does it have a place in American history? Yes. How it's on display in public square and what it represents? Absolutely not.
0: Mayor, we're gonna have to get out of here and move on, but we wanna welcome you back anytime. We appreciate your leadership and we're wishing the very best for all the citizens of Birmingham. Thank you again for joining us.
2: Thank you, Mayor. Thank you all. Be safe.
0: You're watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. Our special guest has been Mayor Randall Woodfin, Birmingham, Alabama. We'll be right back.
1: The Port of Mobile is a crucial commerce center for the entire state of Alabama. Activities with our shippers generated over $490 million in tax revenue for the state. We've generated 135,000 jobs by having a competitive seaport within cost-effective reach. Thanks to the state's leadership, Alabama's only seaport is being modernized to ensure that we are continually competing on a global scale. For more information, contact the Alabama State Port Authority at ASDD.com. I'm John Merrill. As your Secretary of State, my goal is to ensure that each and every eligible U.S. citizen that's a resident of Alabama is registered to vote and has a photo ID. If you're concerned about going to the polls on July the 14th, we want to encourage you to download an absentee ballot application at alabamavotes.gov or contact your local circuit clerk. Make sure you enclose a copy of your photo ID when you submit your application. We may not see you in person, but through absentee, we'll see you at the polls.
4: Hey man, what are you doing today? Um,
0: playing the game. Thought I'd go out for a drive later, maybe. Text some friends while I'm doing it. Scroll through social media. Kill a family four and a half on collision.
2: Cool, man.
1: Drive safe, Alabama. A message from your Alabama Department of Transportation.
0: Welcome back to The V, the voice of Alabama politics. On Thursday, the state recorded nearly 1,200 new COVID-19 cases. Uh, This is a record high. The last record was in June, June 14th. Uh, Where our averages, our, our week, our seven day averages right now, seven to 14 day rolling averages, Susan is 734 cases. We are going in the wrong direction. And this is because people are not following the social distancing rules. Well, there are any rules, but the, the, the advice, the advice. Mm-hmm. they're just not doing it.
2: No, we've talked to several people this week, who are like, oh, well, we need to meet up for lunch, or, oh, well, we need to do this or that, or, oh, you need to go by the pharmacy once a week. Are you out of your mind, people? The numbers are still going up. Nobody's wearing masks out there. There was a report of a friend of mine with a guy breathing down her neck, literally in Walmart the other day, with uh, symptoms.
0: But big now, box stores.
3: Jesus.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's not normal, people. It's not over.
3: Well, it's getting worse. Yeah, You know, I heard I mean, uh, I heard a, a really good uh, analogy yesterday uh, on our podcast from from a doctor that said, uh, you know, if you were told today that there was a treatment for COVID-19 that would reduce your chances of of getting it by 30%, and that there were no side effects, it wasn't invasive at all, all, and and you would take it and be happy about that. Well, that's a mask, you know? Yeah, that's a mask. There you go. Well, Dr. Harris, the public health officer,
0: has been warning people for months, wear a mask, and you know, one of the scary things that we found out, Josh and Susan, is that public health officials across the country are getting threats daily for just telling people- Serious, serious threats. Serious threats. And while Dr. Harris sort of shrugged it off, he says, well, we all get bad emails when we're out there. We all expect them, but you know, for we get them too, because people do not want to believe this virus exists, much less, that it has killed over 200 Alabamians this month. Those
2: folks know it's real?
0: Yeah, their families, their families know, it's real. know it's real. This month. Josh, I don't know if we've covered this before, we talked about it before. If terrorists came to Alabama and killed 800 to 1,000 people and injured some 30,000 people, Everybody would be pulling together, but right now yep. they are just pulling apart.
3: You know? Yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I, it's uh, it's beyond the the stupidity that that is day to day. All right. I, I just I don't understand. I, I know people don't like to be told what to do and, and all right. that, but I, I I just don't understand really what what the what what the objection is to, to putting on a mask for a little while when you clearly see that there's a problem. And, and what, right. what kills me are these people who will say, well, I know, you know I'm not wearing a mask. Everything's fine. It's nothing more than the flu. But, I mean, look around, man. I mean, what, what are you talking about? And, and what do we have to gain politically on the other side, unquote, from this, from getting you to wear a mask and, and stop being a fool and not dying. Uh, that's all right. we're asking I, I, you to I, do right, right. is not get sick and die. I
2: mean, Folks, it's bad enough that New Jersey and New York will not allow Alabama within their state borders. Any Alabamian cannot go to New York or New Jersey. we got to get
0: quarantined. we
2: got to get quarantined for 14 days. That's, at least somebody's thinking. That's
0: pretty bad. But, I mean, the thing is, we, we've divided along the lines of it's politically incorrect to wear a mask or it's politically correct to wear a mask. If you wear a mask, you must be a liberal. If you don't wear a mask, you're... Uh, a conservative. What is it when you're dead? What do they call mm. you when you don't wear a mask and you're dead?
2: I think they call you dead.
3: Dead. Just dead. 200 Yeah, But yeah, an- you know, is- it's, it's, it's uh, wearing a mask is not a litmus test for liberalism. What it is, is an IQ test. Okay. That's it <laughs> it, it just, I mean, really, it is. Just wear one when you go. You can still go to places. You can go Go, out, go to places, it's, you know, it's fine. Everybody's fine. I don't understand.
0: Well, I had a conversation, uh, a brief conversation with some some of the folks over at the governor's office this week, and 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 there's been people out there saying, well, the Ivy administration should go ahead and mandate that everyone wear a mask. And you know, if you start thinking about it, and that that's been that's been presented to the governor's office has been talked about but if you think about how hostile people are towards wearing masks following the rules i think it would be i think it would be dangerous for her to mandate that people wear masks because we've seen shootings at walmarts we've seen fights break out over masks even though it would save lives for people to wear them I just don't see how politically she makes that call.
2: And I'm telling you, there are people well, out there that go, well, they could just find me. I don't care.
0: Well, that's kind of well, the other problem. I, you, you can't know, I can enforce it.
3: I, I agree just a little bit. And here's why I think that it might it might be better is because I think it gives the people who run businesses cover to say, you know, that you do have people who are legitimately concerned about the feelings of their customers and and, and and worried about the danger that might come with it. But I think it gives them cover to say, listen, we don't have a choice. Governor says we got a mandate a mask, or you can't come in. Well, that's a good point. That's a good, that's point. A good point. But <clears throat> I think the blowback
0: from the Republican base would be tremendous. I mean, we we had people so? that <laughs> want to. That, well, she is a Republican. She she's still gonna. I mean, wh- whether she runs for office what? in the near future or not, she's still a Republican.
3: I, you vote for her if they're dead. <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> I'm not even going to go there <laughs> uh, well, But we can send yeah, checks yeah. to people who are dead Because we're so confident that we got that going for us we got about 30 seconds, Susan I, I, and I want to kind of make this a little serious But it's kind of so silly at this point But we have a state Where our elected leaders Beat the cover Off the King James Bible mm. every you can't they don't again. open it they just, Well, you just got to beat the cover That's not, the important I understand. part But it it explicitly says that we should love our neighbors as ourselves, And we know that wearing a mask protects our neighbors. So the question is, are our neighbors in real trouble? Yep. Maybe that's it. We're gonna have to leave it right there. You've been watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. You watch us because we watch them.